Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. Take your Bible, go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 to start with. All right, uh, a couple things I want to say. Uh, Miss Sarah asked me a very serious question uh, this morning. Uh, she understands that I'm not a pastor, and uh, I thank the Lord for that because, you know, as much as I don't like being broke down on the side of the road and at the mercy of the tow truck and the diesel uh, shops and all that, uh, it, it, for me personally, it's probably easier than dealing with people. <laughs> Amen. So, but as an evangelist, still preacher, and uh, she asked me, says, I'm not sure what to call you because I'm not a pastor. I go to church and they'll say Pastor Dave and everything. And, you know, I just smile and uh, I'm not a pastor. I don't pretend to be a pastor. My job is to serve pastors. Amen. I don't go to churches with an agenda to straighten people out. I go to churches to help. So she asked me, and in case that's ever entered in anybody's mind here, what do we call him? Um, don't ask my wife, but uh, uh, I, and I, just like I told her, I'm Brother Dave. Amen. That's who I am. That's all I am. I'm Brother Dave. And uh, again, let me say I'm honored to be a member of this church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at one verse. And it says this, uh, verse 11. And that's Matthew, so this thing going to work. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, and he gave some apostles. Uh, semicolon, uh, and some prophets, semicolon, and some evangelists, semicolon, and some pastors and teachers. There's no comma or anything between pastors and teachers. So a pastor has the added responsibility, besides the nice cushy job with the big paycheck like they all have, um, uh, he's got the added responsibility to be a teacher. You don't see that attached to an evangelist job description. So that's not what I do. Brother uh, Stahl asked me this morning, are we in Genesis 2? I said, no, we're in Matthew 14. I don't even pretend to teach. I don't know what you've been going. Well, I do kind of because I've been here longer than I thought I would be. But uh, as you study through the Bible, and I'm all for that, but sometimes you, you just get it, you get to, not have to, need to, you get to break it up a little bit and bring in somebody like me and kind of, you know, say, what do you do, brother person? Well, for most part, I make pastors look good. <laughs> Amen. So we're going to look at a passage and hopefully get something out of it. Let's just pray first. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for the privilege to uh, assemble as your children. Thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege also to assemble like this in America. Forgive us for taking it for granted as much as we do. God, help our brethren uh, overseas where it's a lot bigger struggle uh, to survive uh, uh, sometimes under threat of, of persecution and even loss of life. And uh, we, just, we just think that happens sometime in history. It's happening now. Help us, Lord God, to be mission-minded. Help us, Lord God, to be mindful of the need in our country. Help us, Lord God, get something from your book. And we pray it in Jesus' name, Matthew 14. Okay, Matthew chapter 14, very familiar passage. Look at verse 22. Uh, it says this, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him under the other side while he sent the multitudes away. 
Previously, uh, uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. Verse 21 said 5,000 men besides women and children. So that was potentially 20. Well, if they're like independent Baptists, that could have been 40,000 people with all the kids. But uh, it was uh, way more than 5,000. If uh, most of them were married, et cetera, most of them had a couple kids, you know, you get the drift. And uh, so he'd just done that great miracle, and then he says what we just read. And he said, straightway, uh, Jesus constrained them to get into a ship. I don't know about you, but constrain uh, isn't a word that I grew up uh, using. Uh, growing up out in a farm country in northern Ohio, it's not a term that I ever remember uh, in the military. It's certainly not a term that I ever remember hearing anybody say uh, while I was in the bike gangs. But it's a Bible word, and it says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples, and the word constrain means this, to urge irresistibly, to compel. He didn't force them. He didn't threaten them. He constrained them. And our Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for uh, the love of Christ constraineth us. Uh, because we thus judge that if one died for all, them, we're all dead. And indeed, we were all dead in trespass and sin. And Jesus Christ made a way for us to be forgiven. Amen. And it ought to be the love of Christ, the knowledge of that. The Bible refers to it in Romans chapter 12 as reasonable. Uh, it ought to be the love for Jesus Christ that compels, that urges us irresistibly, amen, uh, to live for him to love him, not because of religion, not because of rules. I mean, the love of Jesus Christ ought to be what motivates us. Amen. 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 All right, so uh, in the passage, uh, first couple things out of the verse we read, and we'll look through there. Uh, but uh, what you got, number one, is you got precise directions. Uh, he told them exactly what to do. Uh, he said, get into a ship. No gray area. Amen. That's very specific. That uh, cannot be misconstrued by any logical thinking person, cannot be misconstrued in uh, thinking that Jesus might have meant get into a wagon. A wagon wasn't going to get him across the sea. <laughs> he told him very specifically to get into a ship, and I just want to say I appreciate the Bible being specific. Uh, it says, Jesus said a couple times in John chapter 3, he said, ye must be born again. Uh, let me take you to the original English and tell you what that means. It means you must be born again. I like it simple, straight across the plate. Amen. And uh, so when Jesus said you must be born again and then across the land, uh, across the world, across time, uh, religion somehow can translate that into meaning keep the commandments. Well, that's not what it means. That's not what it says. Uh, people take that to be born again, well, to be a good person or to be baptized or to join a church. Man, I know people. There are sections of this country that I go to where there are several independent Baptist churches, this being one of them, actually, uh, uh, where I know I'm going to see the same group of believers every time I go there. I just don't know what church they're going to be a member of that time because people... Amen. I know people that have joined every church in town, but hey, hey, whatever, that's their business. But I'm going to tell you what, you can be a member of every church in town and that ain't going to get you into heaven because Jesus said very specifically, you must be born again. Amen. 
So Christ very clearly, very plainly uh, uh, told his disciples to get into a ship. And let me just say, uh, we need to get into a ship too. And I, I can't even believe I'm saying this in a Navy church like this, but uh, we need to get into a ship. Uh, we need, they call it in song, at least they call it the old ship of Zion. Amen. And I like that concept. I like that. I like that song. Let me just say something to you. This ain't a cruise ship. Uh, uh, no, no shuffleboard. I, I, I watched them playing shuffleboard one time from a balcony of a hotel in North Miami before I got saved. And I'm watching these people, and I never could figure out what the point of that was, boy. I tell you what, people that spend all that money and go on a cruise ship and they advertise shuffleboard, that, that, no attraction whatsoever. Now, this thing about endless buffets, you know, is kind of the main reason I've not, my wife won't let me go on a cruise. Amen. But uh, this, uh, hey, this old ship of Zion ain't a cruise ship. It's a warship. And it's sailing through enemy waters, beloved. And it's on a search and rescue mission. I heard a guy say, I heard a story one time about a guy he was immigrating from Europe uh, back when, you know, when that's the way they did it, and went to Ellis Island and all that. I've been through all those museums and everything. And uh, he's coming over from Eastern Europe, and he had to leave a lot of things behind. Most of them folks had to leave everything behind. And then what they were able to bring got lost in, uh, in, in baggage, lost and found in Ellis Island. And there's people that came through that process, and, and I mean, got on their hands and knees and kissed the ground, just thankful they were in America for an opportunity to be in a place to get a new start. The contrast is unmistakable. I want people get saved and don't appreciate the opportunities that God gives them for a new start and just kind of add salvation, another feather in their cap, another accomplishment, and then still keep their affection set on the world, which the Bible tells us definitely set your affection on things above. Amen. And so here's a guy on his way, on his way to that place, on his way to that, that experience to get vetted and to be brought into a, the country and all, he's left everything behind, family, friends, relatives, personal goods, all he's got is his little dog. He's got this little dog, this little dog means a lot to him. I like dogs too, amen. I made it clear to, to, to Brother Tim yesterday that the coolest, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the coolest dog God ever created was the Jack Russell Terrier. Now, yeah, that's my opinion, but I understand this guy. He likes his dog. He likes his dog, and the ship gets reeling and rocking and stuff. No attraction, brother. You can go across the... Uh, no attraction. No, not on... I'd rather jump out of airplanes. Amen. But this uh, ship gets bouncing around, and the dog gets restless and, and, and gets out of his arms and ends up going overboard. And the guy's freaking out. It's this little dog. It's the last thing he's got. And uh, he's screaming for help. He says, he says, uh, stop the ship, stop the ship, dog overboard. And, you know, he was a nice guy. The people were nice. They said, listen, we can't stop this ship for a dog. And he looked at him. He says, will you stop it for a man? And he jumped overboard himself. And he jumped overboard and he swam out there and he got his little dog and boy, the crew scurrying, stop the ship, man, overboard. And they bring that thing around. I say, all that say this, one day that old ship of Zion, that old ship of Zion was making its way through eternity. And one day uh, the man Christ Jesus came down here uh, to rescue some dogs that had no help and no hope. Is this teaching? Is this how it goes? To you know, I tried to make that clear before we started, right? 
So Jesus told him, he said, get into a ship. And, and then not only did he, we're talking about precise directions, not only did he tell him uh, exactly what to do, he told him exactly where to go. He said, okay, let's read it. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him under the other side. He told them right where they're going. Amen. Matthew chapter four, the Bible says this. It says, in the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. He didn't say get in a ship and see if you can make it. That's what religion does. The religion says, well, get on board and do everything we tell you and do your best and, you know, and do everything we tell you. Amen. And then maybe when you get to the pearly gates, maybe Peter will let you in. Amen. They keep you dangling over hell your whole life. That's not Bible. Jesus Christ says, you get on board. If you're going to make it, I'm going to make sure you make it. Amen. And, uh, and uh, like they, he told him exactly where to go. It said on the other side, he tells you and I exactly where to go too. It says in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 23, and, he, and the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Uh, he's not worried about church membership. He's worried about people dying and going to hell. That's what Jesus Christ went to the cross to make a way for people to escape, not join another organization. Amen. We need to get the gospel out there. We need to get people in so they can hear the gospel. Amen. All right, now it says there in verse 22 also, now we're talking about telling him exactly where to go. He said to go before him. To go before him. In other words, you go and I'll be along a little later. And uh, so then from the passage you see that he had business to attend to. And it wasn't secret. It wasn't secret business. Uh, he wasn't sneaking off. Uh, he told him exactly what that was. Uh, it said, while he sent the multitudes away. He didn't delegate that job to a committee. Jesus Christ was personally interested in people, and he sent the disciples on their way. I'll be along, uh, but I've got to do These people have been following me around. They're hungry. I fed them. They're looking for help. I'm helping them. They need truth. I'm giving them truth. And uh, now they can't follow because we're going across the sea. But uh, I'll take care of this personally. I'm, I, I, man, the fact that Jesus Christ is a personal Savior interested in us. I mean, you know how you know that? Spend a little time talking to him. It is amazing uh, to me that he would give us the time of day. Literally, that's what he gives us, the time of day. Amen. The breath that we breathe. Amen. Uh, uh, so Jesus Christ, his personal interest in people is exemplified in the fact that he even, even, <coughs> even made time for people that didn't like him. Amen. Some of us aren't very good at that. I'm not very good at that. Amen. But Jesus Christ was good at that. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he said this to the Pharisees, to the critics, to the skeptics, to the people that were trying to set him up, trick him, uh, cause him to fail. They never did. They failed. But, uh, but uh, in verse 34, he, called, he preaches to him. He says, oh, generation of vipers. <laughs> Uh, how can ye, being evil, speak good things, uh, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh? Now, he, all I'm saying is he made time for him. I'm not saying that he, you know, just, you know, told him, uh, Jesus, I love you and everything's going to be all right. He called a bunch of rattlesnakes, but he still took time for him. I mean, that's compassion, right? 
Glad somebody got that. Okay. I was wondering, you know. All right. Verse 23. Now, verse 23. Now, we're in Matthew 20. No, yeah. Matthew 14, verse 23. And when he had set the multitude away, he went up uh, into a mountain apart. Uh, it says, why? To pray. And when the evening was come, uh, he was there alone. Amen. Uh, he went up into the mountain apart. Uh, he wasn't enjoying a little me time. I mean, uh, the cares of the ministry and all these folks, he just, I just need to get away. Uh, he needed to get away, but he needed to get away. The Bible tells you why. To pray. Amen. Uh, he wasn't catching up on his messages or his posts. Is that what you call them? I don't know. Or his emails. That's about where I got stuck in the technology age. Amen. He wasn't doing all that. He, he was praying. It makes a point to say that he got up by himself uh, uh, to pray, uh, to talk to God. Uh, you know, Brother Elliot brought out the other night, Pastor Elliot uh, brought out uh, the other night one of the messages that I've seen since I've been here, or heard since I've been here, about the importance of just being silent in that message out of Ecclesiastes 3, I think it was, about the importance, and, and this is what Americans uh, don't like. We don't like uh, just silence. Amen. I tell somebody about riding motorcycles. I ride motorcycles coast to coast, cross country, oftentimes alone. Why? I just need to have time to think. You got to be comfortable in your own head to do that. And most people aren't. Most people got to have noise going, uh, uh, music going, all this thing, people walking around with the little things, you know, and I got things, they're hearing aids, thank God for the VA. But I mean, there's, and there's something, you're talking to somebody, you don't know if they can hear you, you yell at somebody, they turn around, they got things sticking out of their ears. That's why, just like the preacher said, people can't stand silence. I tell you what, it's, it's, uh, it's important for a Christian to get alone with God, uh, to be able to, how are you going to hear the still small voice of God, amen, if you can't get alone where there's no noise, no distractions? Let me help you with that. Let me say this, that's more important than ever, not less. And so I, you know, here's my philosophy on, on how to help Christians uh, with this thing. Uh, here it goes. Ready? Turn it off. Amen. Turn it off. Whatever it is, whether whether it's your whether it's your computer, uh, uh, we used to say television. Does anybody? I mean, uh, computers and tablets and uh, that's something you take when you get a headache. I mean, that's how far behind. Uh, turn that turn that phone off. Now it's a phone. Not everything. It's a computer. It disguised as a phone. It is a high-tech computer that probably there is 50 of them in this room right now. Amen. So while I'm preaching, turn it off. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about so that you can have some time to think without interruption. Turn all the devices. The devices of the Okay, I'm not saying that. Turn all the devices off more often than you do. I don't know how to break the news to you, uh, but I'm happy to be the one. You're not as important as you think you are. You actually can go to Kroger's without getting an important life-changing phone call. Amen. We were talking uh, yesterday, my wife and I, about the implementation of a new technology where you put this box in your kitchen with this curly uh, coiled up cord. And, and that way, it's the telephone. How many remember? Never mind. 
Amen. Now, smart watch. Turn your smart watch off so you can get along with God. Amen. So for years, people stopped wearing wristwatches, stopped wearing watches because they got it on their phone. And then you ask somebody what time it is, and they're fumbling around, and it takes two hands uh, to see, oh, it's this is the time. And I said, someday somebody's going to come along and invent a mechanism that you can strap to your wrist, strap to your wrist, and then you only need one, time, one hand to check the phone. Oh, that's right. It's called the wristwatch. So, you know, uh, 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 whoever it is, uh, Apple or whoever it is, not to be outdone, they decided to put a computer in. Uh, I, are you kidding me? Okay, whatever works for you, that's your business. Turn it off. If there's a remote chance, it'll interfere with your efforts to get alone from God, get alone with God, uh, to hear from God. Amen. Turn it off. Jesus Christ himself set the example for us. He said he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And he was alone. Amen. All right. So that precise direction, that's pretty precise, isn't it? Do I got any time left? Okay. How about uh, verse 24? Look at verse 24. We're talking about pending doom. Pending doom. Verse 24. And the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Uh, tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. Now, I'm not a boater. I'm not a boater, but I'm pretty sure, I got a little experience, not very much, but, but I got pretty sure that uh, when a ship, a boat, a ship, especially, especially a, uh, a uh, sailboat, when it's tossed, you know, uh, uh, in the waves, uh, that's not a good thing. I mean, does that mean it's out of control or am I reading something into that? Amen. So here's what I'm saying. No, I don't need comments. Here's what I'm saying. Here those disciples are, four of them professional fishermen, okay? This is, this is their, their home court. I mean, right down to the, being the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they're out in the middle. Uh, uh, they're in the midst. Amen, as that what it says, in the midst. Oh, okay, four miles in. So they're in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. The wind's contrary. The sail, their boat is tossed. And, uh, and uh, they're in fear for their lives, which they were several times. And, uh, but that's not the only thing they were dead center in the middle of. They were dead center in the middle of this storm, uh, there is right in the center of the will of God. Jesus Christ had just told them to get in that ship. Jesus Christ had just told them uh, to go across. I mean, did he know the storm was coming? Of course he did. Listen, I've had some storms, some trials, some tribulations sneak up on me, blindside me out of nowhere. But Jesus Christ has never had that experience. Boy, he knows what's coming. Amen. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he sent them out there. Amen. And uh, he also knew they were going to make it through. They might have been worried a little bit over in Mark 4. Careth not that we perish. They said, what a dumb thing to say to the Lord. Because if he didn't care, you would, buddy. And I think it's interesting that he had Peter write in 1 Peter chapter 5, I think verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. One of the guys that said, careth not that we perish. Amen. He knew they were going to make it because he told them they were going to, he, that they were going to make it. He said, uh, go on over to the other side. Amen. And uh, so let me just say to you, if you're saved in here this morning, anybody saved, raise your hand. 
Okay, I didn't, you know, pick that apart. If you're not, yeah, you're still welcome. Amen. But uh, if you're saved, listen, the storms are part of life, but you're going to make it. Calm down. Okay, devil's still a liar. Amen. Amen. And the world is not our home, like Brother Walker preached, the, Dr. Walker preached the other night. Got to get all this stuff right. And, uh, and, uh, and you're going to make it because he's going to make sure. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't deceive yourself, beloved. Jesus Christ never for one instant promised anybody there wouldn't be any storms. As a matter of fact, he warns us that there would be. Uh, it blows me away uh, to see Christians, sometimes what I would perceive to be seasoned Christians, blown away by rough seas, things that are clearly predicted in the Bible that they claim to believe and love and have a relationship with. And then when rough times come, it just takes them, I can't believe this happened. That tells me this right here. That tells me you're doing more carrying that book around under your arm than you are hiding it in your heart. Yeah. Amen, amen. That's good. Oh, watch this. This is what I learned on the road. That's good teaching, Brother Spurgeon. Okay, we'll go on now. Amen. See, I don't take myself seriously as some of you guys take yourselves. Amen. You'd understand that if you looked at yourself in the mirror longer than you do because you'd see what I got to look at all the time. Yeah. Amen. amen. Say, we insulted us. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. We need the storms of life, beloved. We don't like them. I don't like them. We need them. That's where we draw out of God. Amen. Uh, uh, that's where we learn to have compassion on others. I've been around folks, and they were they could pick people apart. Well, they this and they that until it happens to them, until it hits close to them. All of a sudden, now they got a little more understanding, a little more compassion. You live long enough. That's where that comes from. It comes from the trials. The Bible says tribulation work with patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, and uh, 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 okay, Romans 5, I'm not going to slaughter it anymore than I just did. But tribulation work with patience, and we need it, and we need experience. Amen? Love God shed abroad in our hearts. Yeah, that's how it goes. All right, and uh, tell you something else. Uh, the storms of life, sometimes the trials, you know, we go through life. Well, I got this, and I'm on top of it, and I'm a Bible believer, and everything's good. And boy, the Lord will throw something your way and pull the rug right out from under you. And you find out you weren't as slick as you thought you were, weren't as smart as you thought you were. And uh, that's a good thing for you, actually. That'll, uh, that'll uh, combat that stinking pride that's part of the package. It's just part of the makeup. All flesh is as grass. And that book says two times over in Proverbs, before honor is humility. Now, I've been around a little while, and I can't think of a greater honor than being a child of God. I didn't even say a servant of God. I mean, what greater honor could there be than to be a child of the king? Amen? But I'm going to tell you what, if you're ever going to be a vessel meat for the master's use, you're going to have to humble yourself. And you, if you don't want to do it, it says in Hebrews chapter 1 of them, James chapter 4, it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and if you don't, He'll do it for you. And he'll be gentle. I agree. He's not against you. He's for you. But uh, we learn humility in the trials and the storms of life. And, beloved, I just submit to you that they're a good thing. And you will survive, I guess, unless you jump overboard and drown of your own, you know, free will. But Jesus Christ will get us through. Now, these di disciples have been told what to do. And now they find themselves in grave danger. They're probably wondering where the Lord is now that they needed help. After all, let's face it, they'd seen him do some pretty marvelous things. Uh, uh, in Matthew 11, verse 5, it said, The blind received their sight, 
and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, uh, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Boy, they've heard, they've seen some things, right? And now here they are, like I say, in fear of their life and uh, looking at pending doom, probably wondering where he is when they need him. And that's the way we get sometimes. We'll see things, we'll see him do things, we'll brag on him, we'll marvel at things, and then sometimes it feels like we're all alone out in the middle of that sea and, uh, and our ship is tossed and things aren't all under control right more right right then and we we need him and we start wondering god where are you where do you think he is i mean isn't he in the same place he always was aren't there some pretty serious promises about brother bowman met it mentioned it in pray in prayer he'll never leave us never forsake us he's not the one that moves he's not the one that changes amen that's good, because then we always know where to get back to, because we're the ones that. Amen. All right, so uh, next, uh, verse 25, we've got an example of some profound determination. Now, Jesus Christ finally shows up. They're wondering where he is. And it says, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Fourth watch is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., and, uh, boy, you know, you've heard it said it's always darkest before the dawn. And that's the darkest part of the night right there in the fourth watch. And uh, on a good day, that's the darkest, maybe the scariest, you know. Uh, but uh, these guys, again, are in this ship, in this sea, and fear for their life. Talk about adding insult to injury. Here he comes. Here comes Jesus Christ walking on the sea, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Uh, but straightway Jesus spake unto them. He knew how to calm them down. He knew how to calm them down. They'd never seen anybody do that before. Don't be so hasty to, to be critical of them. Uh, here he comes, and nobody had ever walked on the sea before, and it's a storm to boot, and they're in fear of their lives, and it's pitch black, and Jesus Christ knew what to do to calm them. He said to them, he says, uh, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Amen. Ain't know why that worked? Nobody said, well, it's easy for you to say. They recognized his voice. Now, we make a big deal out of his word, and we should. But I'll tell you what, the closer you get to that word, the closer you get to recognizing his voice. And there's going to be times where he'll speak to you, give you direction in situations in life where you won't be able to pull out your Bible and your little phone concordance, and you do well to develop a relationship where you recognize what it's the still, small voice of God. And as I get older as a Christian, this is really a cool thing. Because I'm talking about, God, what about this? How do I negotiate? What do I, I mean, in, in things that, oh, I got this. Now I just ask God, and he like, <laughs> he's never wrong. That's what him and I don't have in common. I am often, <laughs> but he never is. So they recognized his voice in verse 28, and Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. See, Peter wasn't a sailor. He might have been a fisherman, but he would rather walk. You know, he'd rather be on, you know, instead of in the boat. I just threw that in because of Pastor Elliot. But uh, he said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And again, remember, he's a Jew. The Jew requires a sign. It's not blasphemous that he questioned the Lord, even if he did uh, uh, recognize his voice. Uh, verse uh, 29, uh, and the Lord said, and he said, come. 
That's all I had to say. Uh, boy, I wish I responded uh, to circumstances as well as Peter did. Lord just said, come. And there wasn't no but. No, there wasn't none of that. Peter was not an independent Baptist. Not at this point, anyway. By Matthew, well, never mind. Uh, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Two men walked on the water in history. Amen. And that was Jesus Christ, and that was Peter. Amen. I give him a lot of credit because even after seeing him come to climb down the ship, it's a storm now, and the ship's tossed and all that. I've heard Navy guys from World War II or Army guys coming off of Navy ships, climbing down that netting on the side of them ships to get it in them landing craft. That thing, that was hard. People were getting thrown off of them, crushed in the, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and uh, so Peter climbed down, and now he's walking on water. Now the two men in history, and you got 11 other disciples in the boat. And I find it interesting that not one of them said, me too. <laughs> Uh, they're all going, he's nuts, he's crazy, can you believe this? And he walked on the water to go to Jesus, amen. And uh, let me see, it says what it says, Peter, went, verse 29, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And uh, he was profoundly determined, I mean, to step out on the water, and uh, he was profo profoundly determined to go to Jesus, and beloved, I want to tell you, so am I. Now, listen, I got loved ones in heaven. I've preached the funerals of all my family members uh, that are older than me. Better clarify that. And, uh, and uh, I got dear friends in heaven and more every year. And I'm looking forward to seeing them. I want to talk to this, you know, the Old Testament saints and the patriarchs. I'll tell you what, first and foremost, I want to go to Jesus. I got somebody that I thank on a regular basis, often, many times a day, and I am looking forward to the day that I can thank him face to face because ain't nobody ever even wanted to do for Dave Spurgeon what Jesus Christ did. And the same goes for you. And Peter was profoundly determined to go to Jesus. And beloved, that would help each and every one of us that the saying is, come hell or high water. And thank God hell's not on the agenda. But no matter what comes, we ought to be determined, as determined as Peter was here, uh, to go to Jesus. Amen. But now he, Peter's humanity comes out in verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sing, he cried, let me see, uh, saying, Lord, save me. And Peter's just like us, man. He starts out by faith. The Bible says, for by grace he is saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And we start on this Christian journey by faith. It ain't because it makes sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why Jesus Christ would do all that, that makes no sense to me. Uh, 30 years uh, into this thing. But uh, we start by faith. People were talking yesterday morning about something. Well, how do you explain this or this or this? I don't even try to explain it. If we could explain everything, wouldn't that mean that the author of that book's no smarter than a man? There's things, the Trinity, other things that just, the Bible says it, we believe it. That's what faith is. Amen? So we start out by faith just like Peter did. He stepped out of that boat. He's walking by faith to go to Jesus, the ultimate greatest motive uh, there is to do anything. But he got this problem, and his problem is that he's still human. And it says, and when he saw and he got his eyes off the Lord and got his eyes on what was going on around him, and it caused him to balk. Amen. To falter. And the same thing 
will happen to us. He began to sing. This proves that uh, Peter wasn't an independent Baptist because the Bible says uh, beginning to sing. I mean, when this boy felt his ankles wet, walking on the water is one thing, but when his ankles got wet, halfway up his jet, he got, we're having a problem here. Most of us, many of us, too many of us, uh, we'll wait till we've gone down once, twice, uh, spit up three lungfuls of seawater, and then when nothing else works, we'll cry out and ask God to help. Uh, what makes you think that God is to be the last resort for one of his children? Yeah. Peter did it right. But as soon as he said, uh-oh, something is not good here, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Amen. That'd be good. That would work. Amen. Uh, 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 I, I've seen Christians, instead of crying out to the Lord, they would call back, back to their buddies in the boat. Hey, hey, I'm going down. Throw me a life. Maybe he was too far out for that. But he didn't do that. Amen. I, I'd seen Christians try to get themselves out of their own problem. Maybe like Peter, turn around and, and start swimming back to the boat. Amen. He wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have made it. He did the right thing. Amen. He, uh, he called out and Jesus Christ saved him. Peter wouldn't have made it on his own. Neither will you, beloved. That's why the passage is in there. Verse 31. And immediately Jesus put him on a waiting list. And put him on hold and, and said, take my number and I'll call back later. No, okay, come on, lighten up. Uh, it says, immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And now they're still out on the water. Amen. And the storm is still raging. That hasn't changed. Amen. What had changed is this. Peter's not sinking anymore. Amen. And uh, the Lord's got him. And then the Lord said to him and, and, and said unto him, verse 31, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Amen. The Lord reproved him. I just got to say, I don't see where Peter minded the reproof. It, the Bible says, and let me see, Proverbs 6, that reproofs are, are, are uh, a way of life. Amen. A preacher's job is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. I say that, say this. I know Christian, I know seasoned Christians, whatever that means that can't handle a reproof ever about anything. Why? Because that translates into an insinuation that I might be wrong. Let me help you with that. You're wrong. Amen. You're wrong often. That's part of our DNA, if there's anything that is. We make mistakes. We need reproof. That's why God set it up the way he set it up. Peter, the Jesus Christ reproved Peter, and he's out there, and say, he didn't say, you know what some Christians say, well, at least I tried. At least nobody else stepped out, you know, trying to make a case for himself. I think Peter just said, you're right, Lord, you're right, sorry, I apologize for my lack of faith, just don't let go. And you and I ought to get great confidence by knowing, if we believe the Bible, that Jesus Christ will not let go. Amen. Uh, amen. I know some people, if you reprove them, uh, they'll say, I mean, if they're caught dead to rights, you know, that they're wrong, they'll say, well, yeah, but if so-and-so, if so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you something. You'll never get any help from God till you learn to take the blame for your mistakes. Amen. Isn't that what salvation is? Admitting you're a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where it starts. And then people get saved and they'll say, you know, they'll admit that they needed to get saved and then they'll never admit they're wrong again. Not if they can help it. Amen. They'll blame somebody. This is good teaching. Amen. 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 <laughs> 
You know, somebody in here, I don't know, may need to try, try that. I mean, getting honest, taking the blame. Amen. Uh, just not, uh, not uh, having a hair stand up on the back of your neck when somebody, maybe a preacher, a teacher, Sunday school parent, insinuates you might be uh, heading off the wrong direction a little bit here. And we swell up and we bow up, and it's because we're stinking carnal. Amen. Okay. Here's where I say I'm almost done, and if I'm like your pastor, it really doesn't mean anything. All right, next, uh, verse uh, 32, we have a power demonstration. I can tell Brother Bayano is marveling at my structure of my alliterated and whatever. Amen. I am too, brother. Just tight. Uh, power demonstration, verse 32, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Like I said, Peter's walking on the water. Jesus is out there walking on the water. The storm's raging. Uh, Jesus uh, immediately stretched forth his hand and caused them. Storm still doing its thing. The storm didn't stop till they got into the ship. Not one second before. Hold your place there and flip over to John chapter 6. John's account of this. John chapter 6 and verse 17. Something else happened when, Peter, when Jesus got on board. Uh, it says... Uh, John 6, 21, then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately, there's that word again, the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, Sea of Galilee is 13 miles north to south, eight miles wide. When we pick this thing up in the fourth watch of the night, they're in the midst of the sea. That's the middle. They're four miles. They've toiled all night to get four miles. The waves are contrary. They're in the middle of the ocean. And when Jesus Christ stepped on board, they were at to shore. They made that other four miles just like that. That's a power demonstration. Amen. That sailboat, when Jesus, as soon as Jesus got on board, became a power boat. Personally, I'm a power boat guy if I was into boats. Amen. So I'd say that to say this. If you're lacking power over sin, amen, or the power to have grace with others, amen, or just the power to do right, could I suggest making sure Jesus is on board? Amen. Yeah, oh, but I'm saved, Brother Spurgeon. Well, you can be saved and not be walking in the Spirit. And the Bible said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. And you can be saved and you can quote Bible and all that kind of thing. And you cannot have Jesus Christ directing the, uh, your path. And I just want to tell you, you're missing out. Amen. And you're missing out on the power that only comes from him, and you're trusting in yourself. And uh, that's a failed tactic, beloved. Now, last of all, verse 33. And then, that, then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him when the storm ceased. They got on board, the storm ceased, and said, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And that's how they showed their thankfulness for calming the storm, for getting them to the other side, for saving their lives. And if you're saved here this morning, Jesus Christ did much more than getting you to the other side and saving your life. He saved your eternal soul. And what, what does he deserve for that? Worship. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 and 5, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Worship is our effort to be, to show him that we're thankful for what he did. It isn't religious. 
It isn't. It isn't anything. It is, it is how we show our gratitude. And I'll tell you what, when you fail to have the gratitude you need to have, the devil's got you in the crosshairs. And that's what we need to do. Stay humble. Stay close to God. Amen. That's Sunday school. Three minutes. Go have a cup of coffee. See you back in a few. Let's all stand and I don't know what to do with them now. You know, take an offering. What do you want to do? I don't know. <laughs> You're getting to be dismissed. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>